Hello and welcome into Sports Talk on a Budget. It is Tuesday afternoon here in uh, Utah. Got some snow over the weekend, so we are full of snow. It's been a couple of cold days. It is obviously February uh, 7th, about four to five days until Super Bowl, uh, until the Super Bowl between the Eagles and Chiefs. So can't wait to get to that. Can't wait to watch that. I think it's going to be a great game. That'll be a big part of the show. It won't be the entire show today. Um, so uh, let's go ahead and jump into the topics here. So my first topic is actually going to be in the NBA, and that's going to be Kyrie Irving being traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Now, I did record my initial, my basically my knee jerk, my initial reaction to Kyrie Irving joining the Mavericks on Sunday. So that is available. Uh, just go ahead and look up Kyrie Irving to the Mavericks or Sports Talk on a Budget, and you can find that video there if you want to watch my just my instant reaction to Kyrie Irving being traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Going to give you a little bit more in detail and more breakdown on that trade, and not just that. I'm going to look and see what's next for Kevin Durant. Is he going to be traded? Um, does he stay with Brooklyn? We'll look into what are the options and what's going to be next for Kevin Durant. And then my second topic and my last topic actually is going to be my Super Bowl breakdown and picks. So my ultimate Super Bowl breakdown, and then I'll go ahead and give you my pick for the game. But I want to look at this game from every angle that we can, because obviously this is going to be the biggest game of the year. Obviously it's Super Bowl, and I think this is going to be a really good game. Two pretty evenly matched teams that play different styles, but should be exciting and should be a very exciting breakdown as well. So with that being said, let's go ahead and dive into the show. So as I mentioned, first topic of the day is going to be Kyrie Irving traded to the Dallas Mavericks. Now, obviously, most people should know the details of the of the trade. But if you don't, obviously, Kyrie Irving was traded to the Dallas Mavericks in return. The, uh, the Brooklyn Nets got Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith a first-round pick in 2027, and then second-round pick in 2029, and I believe um, maybe um, uh, another second-round pick in 2027. But either way, two to three picks, Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith. Now, wasn't a shock that the the Nets decided to go ahead and move on from Kyrie Irving. I really think they wanted to move on from Kyrie Irving for some time, just didn't really get that extra push, but he gave them that extra push with – basically requesting that trade on Friday after the um, they rejected any contract extension talks. And let's look at that first. Obviously, if you're the Nets and you were never going to extend Kyrie Irving and Kyrie Irving, it just shows you how delusional he can be as a person to think that the Nets were going to extend him because you can't extend somebody who has been maybe the most unreliable athlete in professional sports, at least in American professional sports. Just super unreliable. When he's on the court, he's great. Yes, you cannot deny Kyrie Irving's greatness. He is one of the best point guards in the league. He can handle with the best of them. He can finish with the best of them. And that goes almost on an all-time level. So he is that great of a player. But the the thing is, he is also probably one of the most unreliable bad teammates of all time. Like this guy makes Terrell Owens look like a model citizen, a model teammate. So... Brooklyn had no choice but to not to, to deny deny the extension request from Kyrie Irving because that's just it's stupid to tie yourself to Kyrie Irving long term. And then obviously when they denied that Kyrie Irving requested a trade and there was four teams originally that were supposed to be in on the trade and actually did offer trades as well. And that was the Lakers, the Clippers, the Suns and obviously the Mavericks who eventually landed Kyrie Irving. And it actually was reported that Joe side the um the GM of the uh, of the Brooklyn Nets had no interest in trading Kyrie Irving to the Lakers because that's what Kyrie Irving wanted. He didn't want to facilitate a trade that Kyrie Irving wanted. He wanted a trade that obviously was going to work best for them and also um, sent into a place that maybe wasn't his first or second uh, favorite destination to go. 
But just to break down how this is going to be, obviously you pair Kyrie Irving with maybe the best offensive player in the NBA right now, and that's Luka Doncic. And if you're Luka Doncic and the Dallas Mavericks, you needed to make a move so you can make a run. You have a generational player like this in Luka Doncic. The guy can he could score in so many different ways. He's just very smooth with the ball. Just a very, very good offensive player. You pair him with Kyrie Irving, who's a very good offensive player. Now, both of them are ball-dominant players. They like to have the ball in their hands. They're not good playing off the ball. So that'll be a, that could be a struggle there, and that'll be a tough situation for Jason Kidd to overcome. But, I mean, like I said... When you have two of the best offensive players in the game on your team, they're going to be a team that scores a lot. Now, the defensive side is definitely going to suffer because both Kyrie Irving and Luka Doncic are nothing to write home about on the defensive side. So that could suffer. But in a wide-open Western Conference, they might be able to make a run just because of that offensive firepower. I mean, Luka Doncic was able to take Dallas to the conference finals last year. And that was with... I mean, Jalen Brunson was a good player, but he's not Kyrie Irving. Spencer Dinwiddie is okay. Tim Hardaway Jr. they still have. They picked up Christian Wood in the offseason, so they do have a little bit of a beef down low and someone who can get some rebounds and defend for them in the paint as well. So not the most complete team in the West or anything like that, but maybe the team with the highest ceiling in the West now with the Steph Curry injury to Golden State, and it's going to be difficult for them to even make a playoff run. So maybe the best and most explosive and highest ceiling team in the West is probably the Dallas Mavericks right now because when you have the kind of firepower like Kyrie and Luka Doncic on the same team, there could be potential fireworks. But the question with Kyrie Irving, and the question is always going to be with Kyrie Irving, how invested and how all-in is he? Because these last couple of months with Kevin Durant out, he has been an all-star, an all, an all-pro, not an all-pro, but an all-NBA player. Like he has been great, averaging over thirty points per game, shooting percentages up both from three and from two. I mean, he has played really, really well these last couple of months. If he can carry that level of play he's had these last couple of months to Dallas to pair with Luka Doncic, they could definitely be a team that makes a run at the one seed or at least a run at a, at a top two or three seed and that can make a run in the playoffs because Kyrie Irving has played that well and then obviously Luka Doncic is an MVP candidate. So, I mean, he's on the short list of like four or five people that are legit MVP candidates. So it could work, but like I said, it just it all, it all comes down to Kyrie Irving's effort level and Kyrie Irving's interest level. That's what it's all going to come down to. Is he interested and taking this as far as he can go. Is he interested in being a good teammate and and, a go, and getting along for these next couple of months to make a potential run in the Western Conference? Like I said, is wide open right now. I mean, Denver is the best team at the one seed. They're a good team, but they have some flaws. Memphis is the two seed, but they have lost a lot lately. I think they've lost like seven over the last eight games or something like that. And then you got Sacramento, who doesn't have a lot of uh, playoff experience. And just a bunch of other teams just kind of all all melded together either in the middle you basically go from three to 12 it's like a couple of games apart so there's definitely um, opportunity in the west and i think with that kind of firepower you can make a potential run but it all just hinges on like i said what kind of state of mind is Kyrie Irving in going into obviously it feels like he definitely wanted to be out of brooklyn but is this the place he ultimately was willing to play and willing to go to we will see to, to look at the Brooklyn side, and um, that's where we're going to move with my second topic, is what's next for Kevin Durant and the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, Spencer Dinwiddie was already actually there in Brooklyn a couple years back. 
Dorian Finney-Smith, those are nice players. Those are good role players. Good uh, Dorian Finney-Smith can come off the bench, provide some spark. He's a good 3 and D guy, can hit a lot of um, outside shots, and is also a very good defender, which Brooklyn is lacking. So they upgraded at least, definitely not on the offensive side, obviously, by losing Steph Curry, but you upgraded on the defensive side with the additions of Dinwiddie and Finney-Smith. So the cupboard isn't exactly bare there, and obviously... Kevin Durant's supposed to come back from injury in the next couple of weeks. You still have guys like Seth Curry and um, Joe Harris and other guys like that. So you still have a decent squad. Currently fourth in the East right now is the Brooklyn Nets. I think that's their ceiling. I don't see them getting into the top three. I think the top two are definitely cemented with Boston and Milwaukee. And you might be able to cement Philly in that three seed there. So I really think the Brooklyn ceiling is the four seed. But, I mean, Cleveland's right there, and they could vie for that four seed. So, do I think they could be a playoff team, even without Kyrie Irving? Definitely. Do I think they're a championship contender? No. Did I think they were a championship contender with Kyrie? No. I did not, because the cohesiveness and just the... um, I just didn't think that they ever got along or it was never like it was never kind of a harmonious kind of connection there in Brooklyn and unfortunately with Kevin Durant lately he has been very injury prone so you can't really rely on him to be out there on the court night in and night out just with the injuries he's had and then obviously with Kyrie Irving they couldn't rely on him to be out there night in and night out not just with the injuries but just with his whole mental situation as well so I think what happens here is I think the Nets go through the season and make a run as far as they can with the team as constructed. And then they'll deal with uh, what's going on with Kevin Durant in the offseason, whether it's going to be a trade, whatever happens there. Because you have really only three days now or two days. You have today, tomorrow, and Thursday to trade him. And they just announced earlier that they're not really looking to make any trades and that they're telling teams that are calling that they're not really interested in making any trades for um, for Kevin Durant right now. So Kevin Durant will probably be a Brooklyn Net at season end whenever that is for them, whether that's the first round, second round. Doubt it's the conference finals or further, but you never know. Kevin Durant is that good of a player when he's healthy. But I think they stand pat with the team they have. They may make another small move that doesn't involve Kevin Durant because they do have some draft capital that they can uh, they can get out there now. So they may make another small move to kind of make their team the best it can be for this year to make a run. But I don't see them uh, trading Kevin Durant, and I don't see uh, Kevin Durant going in there and demanding a trade. Like I said, I think they'll play out the season and decide in the offseason what's the best practice for them and what's the best plan of action and the best way forward. If you're Kevin Durant... Obviously, this uh, this experiment has totally failed. Whether it was your experiment with just experiment with just you and Kyrie Irving, and then when you brought in James Harden, obviously failed. Was a terrible decision to trade Kyrie Irving when you had Steph Curry and you had a team that was an instant dynasty. You probably would have had probably like two to three more championships under your belt if you just stayed in Golden State, but. I mean, that's a decision that's probably going to keep him up at night and he may regret for the rest of his life. But the experiment did not work, and that is a a gross understatement. You just got to move forward. I think for him, it's not worth going in there and demanding a trade by the end of the trade deadline because I just don't know how many teams have the actual assets and capital that the Brooklyn Nets are going to want in return for a guy like Kevin Durant when he's on the floor. He's a top five player easily. So... Like I said, I think the Brooklyn Nets and Kevin Durant stick the rest of the season out and then decide over the summer what's the best plan of action going forward for them and decide what they want to do with each other. So with all that being said, 
Obviously, the Kyrie Irving trade was huge. That was one of the biggest blockbuster trades that we've had in a while, and it leaves kind of Kevin Durant up in the air. But at the end of the day, I think, like I said, both of them will stand pat and move forward and decide on the summer on what exactly they want to do. And then we'll go ahead and move to my last type of the day, topic of the day, and that is my Super Bowl breakdown. And obviously, it's the Eagles versus the Chiefs, and the Eagles are currently still a one-and-a-half-point favorite. This line has moved around a little bit. It got up all the way to uh, Eagles two-and-a-half at one point, got down to Eagles minus one. Eagles have always been the favorite in this game, but um, there has been some money that has come on the Chiefs here and there that has moved around the line. Currently, it is Eagles minus one-and-a-half. And just to look at this game, just to look at it from kind of a macro standpoint from out, from the outside, I really do believe that the Eagles have the best roster. And um, I, I broke down my roster uh, rankings last week, and I had six Eagles players and four Chiefs players. So that's how that's what that's how you know what I think about these two teams. The Eagles have the best roster. Obviously, they have a ton of Pro Bowlers, a ton of All Pro players. Best roster top to bottom, but. The Chiefs have the ultimate equalizer when it comes to rosters and when it comes to overall matchup. And Patrick Mahomes, the best quarterback in the league. Because in this day and age, in 2023 in the NFL, and it has been this way for about a decade, the best, the team with the better quarterback usually wins the game unless the team they're playing is just stacked everywhere. And that could be the case with the Philadelphia Eagles. And Jalen Hurts has had an unbelievable year. He's an MVP candidate. I think he should or should get more consideration for the MVP, especially when you look at the two games he missed and Gardner Minshew, sorry, Gardner Minshew started, they lost those two games. And then he comes back and they, and they win right away. And they win three games in a row. And now they're sitting there in the Super Bowl. So it is, it is I think, when you put the value part of MVP there, Jalen Hurts' value was showed in those two games. He wasn't there and they couldn't win. And one of those games was a home game against the New Orleans Saints, which you should have won. Obviously, the road game against Dallas, you may have lost that game anyway with Jalen Hurts because Dallas does is a, was a good team and does play well at home, and they were kind of a team that still had sights on the division and the number one overall seed. So you may have lost that game with Jalen Hurts. You may not have. But the game at home against the Saints, you have no business losing, with Gardner, even with Gardner Minshew starting, and they lost that game. And I really think that showed the value that Jalen Hurts played to this team and what he is currently playing right now. So I think he should get MVP consideration. I think at the end of the day, it's still going to go to Patrick Mahomes, and I don't have a problem with that because he is the best player in the NFL right now. But you can make a strong case, and I think I would make a strong case if if I got the opportunity, obviously, for Jalen Hurts. But just to get back to the game, like I said, Eagles better roster, Chiefs ultimate equalizer in Patrick Mahomes. But there's a couple of keys that I'm looking for. And first, we're going to start with the Chiefs on the defensive side. And can this Chiefs defense, which is an okay defense, they're better up front than they are in the back end, but they're up front can be great sometimes with Chris Jones, Carlos Dunlap, Frank Clark. They can have a really stout front, uh, front four, front seven that can get after the quarterback. But what, I, what I'm more looking for them right now to do in this game, if they want to be successful, is not just get after the quarterback, but slow down that Philly run game. Philly loves to run the ball. They're the best, one of the best teams. They're the top two team in the league when they run the football on a consistent basis. And they don't just do it with Miles Sanders. It's Kenneth Gainwell. It's Boston Scott. And then obviously Jalen Hurts at the quarterback position as well. They do a lot of misdirections, a lot of quarterback kind of options and keeps that way. And their offense alignment, obviously, when you have Kelsey and Lane Johnson, two all-pro players on your offensive line, they lean on that offensive line in that run game to make um, to make plays and to open up the pass game. 
So if the Chiefs can slow down that run game, which I'm sure is is ob- objective number one for Steve, St- Steve Spagnola and that Chiefs defense, if they can slow down that run game and make Jalen Hurts win from the pocket and win with his arm. Not saying that Jalen Hurts can't win with his arm and can't win throwing the football, but it's a lot more difficult when it comes to the Eagles, and that's not exactly how they want to win on offense. Now, they have the requisite weapons to win in the air, obviously, when you have A.J. Brown, Devontae Smith, Dallas Goddard, and some of the, and their backs are good out of the backfield as well. So they have good receiving weapons to win throwing the football, but that is not what they want to do, and that is not what they like to do. They like to run the ball to set up the pass, not the other way around. They're very old school in that way, where, like I said, they like to run the ball to set up the pass. If the Chiefs can slow down that run game and it doesn't open up those windows, those passing windows, whether it's to Goddard or Smith or Brown, doesn't up those open up those passing windows and Jalen Hurts is throwing into regular coverage without the kind of the the uh, the elements of running the ball because they're going to run a lot of R- RPOs with Jalen Hurts. If he's just throwing, just dropping back, just straight throwing the ball because the run game isn't generating what it usually does, that's going to give the Chiefs a really good advantage, and that's going to make things a lot tougher on Jalen Hurts and this Philadelphia Eagles uh, offensive, uh, especially their offensive game plan as well. And then if you're the Eagles, we'll go to the defensive side. Can you disrupt Mahomes and get him and make him uncomfortable? Now, obviously, I've talked about this in my last couple of shows. The Eagles lead the league in sacks by more than 14 sacks. So they're a team that gets after the quarterback, and it's not just with one guy. It's not just Fletcher Cox. It's not just Brandon Graham. It's not just Hassan Reddick. They get after the quarterback, and it's not just with their front seven. They like to bring in blitz packages with the safeties and corners. They like to get after the quarterback from multiple areas to make the quarterback as uncomfortable as he can be. So that's big there. Can the Eagles do that against Patrick Mahomes? The offensive line for the for the Kansas City Chiefs is a good offensive line, and they protect Patrick Mahomes. But what has really helped this offensive line in, in most years and throughout the season up until the last two games is Patrick Mahomes' mobility and his able his ability to get out of the pocket, extend plays, but still make throws down the field. We don't know if that's going to be available for Patrick Mahomes. That is another key. How healthy is that ankle for Patrick Mahomes? Because if you watched the AFC Championship game against the Cincinnati Bengals, in the first half he looked great, but he was throwing mostly from the pocket. And then he got sacked a couple of times and hit a couple of times in the second half, started limping again. And you could tell that he almost kind of re-aggravated or almost re-injured that ankle in the second half of the AFC Championship game. If he is going to be limited that way as far as mobility in this game and the Eagles can just pin their ears back, rush the quarterback with their front seven, with their blitz packages and things like that, it's going to be really tough for the Chiefs to move this ball consistently to move the ball consistently against this Eagles team. So that is a big key for me there as well. Can um, can the Eagles get to Mahomes on a consistent basis, make him uncomfortable? And then obviously the other key is how healthy is that ankle for Patrick Mahomes? And then obviously we have the key of Jalen Hurts. Jalen Hurts did not play a good NFC Championship game. The Eagles, in my opinion, did not play great in the NFC Championship game. They pretty much got awarded an NFC Championship pretty much on that first play. Now, their front seven did what they needed to do. They weren't going out there saying, we're going to knock Brock Purdy and Josh Johnson, the backup, out of the game. That wasn't their game plan. But their game plan was to make Brock Purdy, the young quarterback for San Francisco, uncomfortable. That's exactly what they did from the first series. Made him really uncomfortable, knocked the ball, made him turn over the ball. 
And in the process of getting after the quarterback, sometimes when you get after the quarterback that consistently, you are able to hurt the quarterback. That's not your objective. No one's going out there, at least I hope not, no one's going out there with the intention to actually hurt the quarterback. But if you get after the quarterback as consistently as Philadelphia can, that can happen. That's exactly what happened in the San Francisco game. And that first series there when the Eagles defensive front was able to get to Brock Purdy and basically knock him out of the game or pretty much just tear his uh, his uh, ligament in his elbow, they won the NFC Championship game on that play and on that series. Because after that, the 49ers basically had no chance. So you could say that the Eagles didn't play great, but they did exactly what they do great, getting after the quarterback and playing stout defense. If they were able to do that against Patrick Mahomes and do that consistently, especially with that ankle injury for Patrick Mahomes, it may not matter anyway. The Eagles might still be fine playing just their B performance on offense. It may not matter because their defense can be that disruptive and can be that good. So I think they're going to need more from this offense and more from Jalen Hurts. Obviously, the two weeks off will really be good for Jalen Hurts and that shoulder because he was missing a lot of throws in the NFC Championship game. And then obviously, the two weeks off will be good for Patrick Mahomes and that ankle to make sure he's as close to 100%. I don't think either guys will be at 100%. I think Mahomes will probably be about 75-80%. Hurts maybe about 90-95%. But this two-week layoff can be a big key in this game to get them more kind of ready for the game. And then Obviously, this week, there's not a lot of there's some practice, but your practices aren't the same as they are throughout the year because you have so much of media availability, especially for the quarterbacks like Mahomes and Hurts. There's so much going on the week of Super Bowl that they're not practicing nearly as as much or as vigorous as they usually do. So I don't know if that's going to help their injuries or hurt their injuries, but either way could play a factor as well. Looking at this game, I think the Eagles are going to be able to run the ball on this Kansas City team. I think they'll keep the uh, keep guys like Chris Jones and Frank Clark and Carlos Dunlap away from Jalen Hurts. I just this roster for the Eagles for me is just too it's just too good. I obviously I, I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the league. Obviously, Travis Kelsey is the best tight end in the league. A big another big key is the health of those three wide receivers that got hurt in the AFC Championship game. Juju Smith-Schuster, Kadarius Toney, and Mecole Hardman. How available will they be? I have a feeling that Juju and Toney will probably be okay. Not sure about Mecole Hardman because he missed about six to seven weeks in the regular season and missed the divisional round game. So he just came back from injury and then got re-injured in the AFC Championship game. So not sure how healthy he's going to be. But if you look at the Eagles side, they're healthy. Other than, I mean, Jalen Hurts is probably their only major injury question, and he's had plenty of time to recover from that shoulder injury, and he's had another two weeks since the NFC Championship game, so I think he'll be fine. Like I said, I just like this Eagles roster too much. Just all pros and pro bowlers at basically every position group, and I think, like I said, that the Eagles will be able to run the ball effectively on this Chiefs defense, and that'll open up the pass game for guys like Devontae Smith and A.J. Brown and Dallas Goddard. I think this will be a close game. Not as high scoring as some people may think. I think this is a game in the 20s because the defenses can step up at times and make plays. But either way, I'm going to go ahead and roll with the Eagles minus one and a half in this game. So I like the Eagles minus one and a half to win and cover and take home their second Super Bowl in the last six years, which I mean, with the fran- for a franchise that didn't have a Super Bowl for like the first 60 years of their existence, or sorry, the first 40 years of their existence, because they did have some NFL championships, but didn't have a Super Bowl for the first 40 years of their existence in the NFL, AFL as a Super Bowl was a thing that would be huge to win two in six years. 
So with all that being said, this is um, thank you for watching the show. Obviously, if you want to get the video version, you can go on to YouTube, just uh, search Sports Talk on a Budget, or you can just search my first and last name. Uh, please go and watch. I have all my uh, videos up there. I have a lot of NFL playoff videos. Like I said last week or um, on Sunday, I recorded my initial reaction to the Kyrie Irving trade. Please go and check that out when you get a chance. If you prefer the audio version, you can listen to this show either on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or basically wherever you get your podcast. Thank you for listening and have a great day. And please like and subscribe to the show and follow me on the uh, social media channels, uh, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. Thank you again for listening and have a great day.